0: Yes, of course. Burl Bearer. I've known a few writers who were rogues and vagabonds. And I'm Roger Moore. I didn't supply the microphone. Ladies and gentlemen, the following exciting program, True Crime Uncensored is produced with an amazing vengeance and true professionalism by Magic Matt Allen on the Outlaw Radio Network, including Error FM, the Backyard Party Network, and the fillings in your teeth. I am the legendary Burl Bear. The man in the lawyer chair is fact-checker Mark Boyer. <coughs> with a cough, he's got that horrifying thing that's going around. And now... That's why I'm staying over here <laughs> and joining us also a little later on in the program, our friend from Connecticut, Spencer Tandy, and also from Connecticut right now, but he's calling from Las Vegas, Nevada, Vito Colucci, who sounds like a criminal, but he's not. Hey, bro, how are you? Better and better, better and better. You're surrounded by guys with names like yours from the other side of the law
1: that's it that's for sure you know you know when i was a kid bear burrow if i could tell you this uh, i used my used to get made fun of my name even by teachers in school we're talking the 50s and 60s here now it's so amazing when i do a tv show or something the producers will say to me what a cool name i feel like smacking them you know i feel like smacking them after all the BFUs, Hey, you know? I,
0: how'd you like to have the name burrow bear and go through school with that
1: I know, I know,
0: right? People still ask me, but what's your real name?
1: (laughs) That is my real name.
0: True story. When I was born, the doctor came in and said to my mom, Mrs. Bear, how could you do such a cruel thing to your child as to give him the name Burl? He will be mocked for having the name Burl Bear. Give him a middle name that's normal. So my mother gave me the middle name Roger, in case I ever wanted to use that. I I went all the way through school with the doctor's daughter, and this is why... He was so sensitive. Her name was, honest to God, Brenda Beaver.
1: Oh wow! Well, that's another whole show right there. You got another whole show right there. That's more I rated, bro.
0: That was her name, gorgeous girl. I bet she Ice was in a hurry. To, yeah, nice Beaver. She, she was Ice Beaver. Yes, thank you. She was in a hurry to get married. I assure yeah, she you. She got married at eleven, I think. Just yeah. To change her name. Yeah. Smith. Anyway, you are in Las Vegas for the same reason I will be in Las Vegas today, and
1: that is. We are doing a big event tonight. It's called This Thing of Ours, A Sit-Down with the Mob. uh uh-huh. And who
0: all is going to be there? I mean, you're not a mobster, and I'm not, but who is? Well, else? I worked
1: work undercover organized crime for many years. I wore a wire back east in Connecticut and New York. Oh. Uh, a lot of death threats, things of like that. So that's my involvement as far as being in this tonight, because that was my life for seven yeah, my, years. Yeah,
0: my involvement was only being a customer of all their illegal activities.
1: <laughs> Right, I mean, you have, you have of course, uh, Henry Hill headlighting the show, and Henry Hill, for the six people across the country that don't know who he is, uh, the movie Goodfellas was, was made about Henry Hill. And it's funny, because I see a lot of Henry Hill's events, and when people are calling me to book reservations, they go, can I talk to Ray Liotta when I get there? I go, uh, <laughs> no, no, Henry Hill, yes, I know Ray Liotta. And, I, and I'll say... Ma'am, I don't mean to offend you. I mean, are you blonde? (laughs) I I said, Henry Hill's going to be there. Ray Liotta played him in a movie. That's make-believe stuff, you know? Uh, I mean, that's not the real person, I mean. But he's going to be there. We got Andrew DiDonato. Oh,
0: he's really a, something, yeah.
1: Oh, man, he has a best-selling book out right now. It's already gone into a second printing, and it just came out, Surviving the Mob.
0: Yeah, great book. We had him on the show a few weeks ago, and it was spellbinding.
1: Fantastic. Yeah, I mean, it's written by him and Dennis Griffin, who's had 11 books out. He's in fact, he's writing my undercover book that'll be out the end of this year. And he
0: owns like, Las Vegas. We figured that out already. Oh, yeah. And all he you got to do is stop at the bookstore at the airport. <laughs> it's the Denny Griffin Memorial Bookstore.
1: <laughs> Mayor, Mayor Oscar Goodman calls Denny for any kind of decision. So, yeah. <laughs> to put on that, so got a lot of people don't know that. you you got a scoop on your show today. Right? Hey, that's and, good to and know. And, of course, we got Frank Curata, oh who God. a lot of people don't know who he is. But uh, um, his character was played on the movie uh, Casino. I I forgot the uh, actor who actually played him. Maybe your your guy who's hacking all that uh, cloth all all over the place can find (laughs) out. But this was the whole thing about the Spalatro and the whole Ben. Uh, You know, he's uh, he was what was called a natural born killer back then. You know,
0: but he's turned his life around now. Oh,
1: I I tell you, you talk to him; he's such a gentleman. He's you know him and Andrew especially too, who was a mob soldier. They are so happy for their life now. They're so. Uh, happy that they're away from all that stuff. And, and just to think, bro, I'm on a platform now with these guys. I had death threats against me. They had hits on them. And now we're together on a platform just trying to, to spread the word basically that get out of this life. Henry Hill, Henry talks at police departments. He talks to children about, you know, the people who write him. I was in his company one day when he got an email. And his girlfriend, Lisa, say, oh, listen to this, Henry. This kid says he's 12 years old. He's already robbing in school. You're my idol, Henry Hill. Oh, well, great. Henry, Henry got on that, and he dictated what to say to her. And he really read this kid the riot act. Well, are you crazy? You stay <laughs> away from that stuff. There's no joy in that. You're going to wind up in jail or dead, blah, blah, blah. So, you know... It's it's interesting what happens to these people as the years go by, you know?
0: Well, it seems to me that things have changed dramatically uh, organized crime-wise from the early days when... Uh it was it seemed to be a different thing of providing people things that they wanted that were illegal, such as uh, alcohol, etc. And the violence was confined uh, maybe to their own selves. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, and the police were so corrupt, not to say that they are now, mm-hmm. but uh, the police were simply another mob, like you had here in Los Angeles with Rampart, where the, the Rampart police were just a gang with uh, with badges. Careful, I was
2: I was in the middle of that scandal. Well, were you really? <coughs> yes, I was working for the. LAPD at the time. Oh, did it bust you? Uh, no, I was uh, one of the one of the uh, computer researchers. Ooh, that must have been fun. <clears throat> and it wasn't a mob. There was a. It was a
0: group. A small group. group.
1: Small group, group all, with
0: big guns. And, yeah.
1: And Pearl, in my case too. You know, you talk about dirty cops. My whole investigation, my undercover investigation, was against the, my own members of my own police department. My boss, my lieutenant, my sergeant, five or six other members that were all running. The organized crime uh, situation, and all through Connecticut, all through Fairfield County, into New York State. So that that was really super dirty cops uh, back in that era. I'm
0: surprised you're still alive.
1: Well, I thank God that I am. It's only by the grace of God, bro. I mean, it's uh, not anything spectacular I did. Uh, God saved my life. That was front page headlines. Anthony Dolan, who wrote dozens of articles, not just about me, but about the whole corruption thing all through Connecticut. He won a Pulitzer. 1980. He went on to be the speechwriter for Ronald Reagan for eight years, and he's worked for Rumsfeld and everybody else just coming off of that Pulitzer. So, I mean, it was an interesting time back then, a crazy era, bro.
2: You could have been Serpico.
1: Yeah, you know, everybody called me that back then, but, uh, you know, people make me laugh sometimes. They'll say, oh, you, you, you put away all those people. You were a real hero. i let's get one thing straight. The heroes are on the other side of the world right now, saving our lives so we can do this radio show right now. So, uh you got
0: to put things in perspective sometimes, you know? Absolute fact. I'll tell you, we had Kenny Gallo on the show a couple times. Uh, He wore a wire for the feds for seven years while he was in the mob. Uh, I mean, he was going to do it for like a couple weeks to get a couple guys that he figured had no business even being in the mob, let alone being anything, right? Because there's, as you know, there's good criminals, there's bad criminals.
1: Right, right. The most amazing guy I've ever saw was former FBI agent I'm sure you know his name Jack Garcia yeah. who had the number one best selling book making Jack Falcon he wore a wire for 25 of his 27 years I mean I worked under I worked undercover 7 years I wore a wire 2 years and I had to go seriously when I was all done with the police engineer. I had to go to a psychologist after that and I was wearing a wire 2 years Jack Garcia wore 1 25 years Florida, New York, all over the country, he worked, uh, doing numerous cases at the same time. That amazes me. It amazes me how you can keep your sanity.
0: Yeah, I, I don't get it. We we also, yep. we had on uh, Carrie Drobin, who wrote the book about the incredibly misguided and disastrous ATF uh, infiltration of the Hells Angels. Mm. And <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you read her book or not, but it's, you know, talk about a waste of tax dollars. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that whole thing was thrown out so fast, and yet here is this guy uh, going in undercover, you know, in the Hell's Angels, and to make sure he looks good, he's supposed to kill somebody. So they fake him killing somebody, and they go, "Oh, gee, uh, wouldn't there be a body? Wouldn't there be an autopsy? Wouldn't it be in the paper? Let's just drop the whole thing." (laughs) Yeah,
1: unbelievable. (laughs) Talk about putting
0: someone at exposure. Yeah. Well, that's what you. uh, I had an undercover guy say to me once that he didn't get the back. Up, he didn't get the support, that if something went wrong, he was going to be just out there hanging.
1: Mm. Well, that, that's what happens when my chief of police asked me to go undercover, wear a wire, um, you know, being very skeptical back time because of a very corrupt police department. Of course, my chief was honest. He, I asked him who else would know about this, and he, uh, one, he just said, one lieutenant who I trusted, would be the only other one that would know. Come to find out, when the, when the case was done, there was two other uh, people who wound up being very good, honest guys. But, you know, don't tell me only one other person's going to know I'm doing this, and there's really two other people. Right. I mean, I yeah. put my life on the line. Front-page articles, I got five kids, all small at the time. I mean, you know, <laughs> it's, it's a little dangerous thing for anybody involved, in it, whether it's the guy infiltrating the Hells Angels or uh, Jack Garcia, whoever it is. I mean, mm. you know, if you're putting their lives on the line.
2: From a from a layperson's perspective, um, you're wearing a wire. <clears throat> you're in the middle of whatever criminal activity is going on. How do you – is, is there a way to draw a line of where, okay, I need to stay undercover or I need to stop what's going on?
1: Well, you know, if, if that was for me, uh, and it's a situation where they might get to kill somebody – uh, you, you're not going to kill somebody, okay? I mean, you're not supposed to do anything of that nature to be involved in actually killing somebody just to break the case. I mean, that's for sure. So there's been many people that have just abruptly stopped their surveillance because of something that was, say, say, uh, you know, 10 people were going to get killed in almost like a St. Valentine's Day type of a thing. Uh, man, you're going to end that case, and you're going to tell the authorities right away. All right, so you're not going to go try to uh, arrest a kingpin and let many uh, in, right. uh, yes, know, innocent people, people die. Like this. That's right, that's right.
0: Well, then you yeah, have a situation. I, I haven't written this up, although I have the actual original FBI files that a guy put in storage and forgot about. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Where the, uh, the, the FBI, usually the FBI is supposed to be doing stuff local or, you know, within the nation, but they, they were involved in marijuana smuggling. The idea being to find out who all the other smugglers were and do a big bust, right? Well, right. they did the biggest marijuana bust in the in American history. Uh, I don't know how many tons it was. And they got the information on, you know, how, how far does this go? Who is was the, the kingpin, right? So they had enough evidence to go after this guy. He was an American. And the CIA goes to the FBI and says, I'm awfully sorry. You can't, you can't touch him. Well, why, why, why not? Well, he's he's very he's a contractor. Uh, but his pictures hanging on the wall in the White House. He's really tied in with the administration. Many administrations. It would be you know, you can't touch him. So there, there are walls that you can oh, hit. Sure.
1: Yeah, I mean, I you know I I'm very thankful for the FBI. They, they helped keep me alive through that whole thing. I mean, they monitored me, uh, they listened to me. And you've got to remember something, too, bro. This was an era back then, the 70s and early 80s that I'm talking about, where wearing a wire With a big contraction that well, was got to you your back. Now you've got a pinhole thing you All can right. have in your belt buckle, it could be in your baseball cap. I mean, they're all hidden things. I had the old-fashioned oh, one. Oh, yeah, they you had, like, a, like
0: a Wallen Sack 300 from audiovisual class. Yeah. Oh, here, yeah, right? are you
1: kidding me? I, I mean, you know, I had these things taped to my hairy back. You know, I mean, you know, my back, uh, my daughter says I'm third in line from the right on the evolution chart, or whatever that means. I don't think it's a compliment she's giving me. But, you know, they pull the tape off every night at the FBI office, and I scream like a baby. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know.
0: It's amazing they didn't catch you.
1: Yeah yeah I know it is I'm telling you it is it's absolutely amazing I mean I've got really.
0: in, I've got into places uh, <laughs> where they have scales to weigh you when you walk in and weigh you when you walk out <laughs> right You've been into places like that, I assume. Oh, yeah. Oh,
1: sure. Sure. Yeah. Yep,
0: yep. Uh, just in case you're going to walk off with something. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's
1: right. And That's I've right. been in
0: places where the door, when they shut the door behind you, the door is locked and a chain is put on
1: it. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: so, you're, right. you know, if you're doing something, you're not getting out.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, how about in New York? I don't know if you've heard it in your neck of the woods, but it was the, the, biggest, the biggest FBI bust. Uh, ever, like 100 uh, 130 uh, Yeah, mobsters. Andrew was talking about that, he knows yes. a lot of those guys Incredible, incredible bust that was, now, and l- it's not only 130, what people don't realize, that 130 is going to lead to four or 500 people because everybody nowadays, they'll turn in their oh, grandmother, they'll,
0: they'll roll over faster than my dog
1: Oh, they'll turn over their grandmother and they'll throw in their Aunt Philomena, <laughs> <so> that's a <laughs> little bonus one too you know, they have to So
0: In the old days it wasn't like that though
1: No. Oh, no. No. When I worked it, I'll be very honest with you. It's a bygone era. It's an era that why we have these kind of functions tonight because it was more what nowadays the people it's a romanticized, which is this crazy thing to say. You're dealing with murderers and things like that, but it was something with a time where people would go to jail for 30 years mm-hmm. and, not, and not give up anybody, they wouldn't give up Tappy uh, the cat, uh, yeah. they'd go to jail and be quiet. Or, they,
0: or that someone would take the fall for them, uh, like, right. uh, like in Vegas with a case that's well known, or right. with, with Sinatra in New Jersey.
1: Yes, that's right. That's right. And, now, and you get
0: a you get to you get a bonus. You be taken care of it. now. I will say allegedly, because yes. I don't want to get sued here. But allegedly, the fellow who took the fall for Frank when he came out, he was uh, given a wonderful position in uh, entertainment management. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I,
0: know. I met the fellow, and I could see why he could do both well. Right. <laughs> <laughs> He's a tough man to negotiate with. That's for
1: sure. <laughs>
0: So this thing tonight is very gonna be vastly entertaining. it start at seven or at eight? I'm, I keep getting no, different. It's
1: seven it's seven to ten, Burl. It's at the uh, it's called the Royal House at uh, ninety nine convention center drive right in Las Vegas. And it's got some lineup, I'll be very honest with you. And you know nothing against <laughs> you know, in, in Burl in in Vegas now they got the mob museum, they got the mob experience. All of a sudden, you know, Vegas has gone from not wanting to talk about organized crime for decades to showcasing it. Yeah, now. cash in on it. Yeah, but what what our event tonight, why our event is different, because the other things I just mentioned, they're very good. I can't wait to go see the Mob Museum and everything. But we got the real-life people here. Okay, I mean, you know, uh, Henry Hill, uh, Goodfellas, one of the biggest movies of all time. Keep
0: Henry sober, though, before the show. Oh, well,
1: you know, I need Impossible. you and about other guys
3: to do that, you know? <laughs> just, hold on, I just want to inter- interrupt for a moment here. This is Matt Allen, our producer. I want you to know that listening to the show from the other room, I am enjoying this immensely, and uh, much more than the uh, riveting content. <laughs> Is the sound of someone's last breath on the air? Is that you, Burl, or is that Mark? It's Mark, it's Mark passing away on the air, choking to death, as though he was a, a, a horsehead in a
1: bed? Yeah, boy, I know. What the heck is going on here, bro? He's
0: going around. There's a uh, Fred Wolfson, a famous Hollywood private eye, was going to be here with us today to swap PI stories with you, but he's right. got the same thing Mark does. Oh
1: man! So uh,
0: we're just gonna we're just pumping him full of dextromethorphan. Morphine hydrobromide <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. and Ricola <laughs> <laughs> so tonight and by the way the one reason we're talking about this so much to say the event of the royal tonight is that uh, I'm going to be recording the whole thing uh, to use here on the uh, radio program True Crime Uncensored. So if uh, you can't make it to Vegas, as long as you keep listening to this show, you will eventually hear the whole exciting thing, and that'll be a big thrill for everybody. And, well, uh, you
1: got to make sure, bro. You 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 bleeping out all the words for this. Oh no, we're sorry. on the
0: internet. We can say all those dirty words. Oh
1: okay, cause, uh, <laughs> definitely they're gonna they're gonna be definitely uh, flinging that out here. Oh well, no, definitely.
0: we do. We don't bleep this show. This is an unbleepable program. Okay. Well, bleep
1: that. <laughs> yeah,
0: bleep you. <laughs> I get a kick out of watching the uh, the, the movies like uh, Goodfellas and Casino when yeah. they show them on uh, TV, and they either cut out the uh, the words or they change them. Right. <laughs>
1: yeah. Freaking. You, you hear freaking. All, you hear Joe Pesci say freaking. Freaking. All through, freaking. Well, yeah, Casino. freaking.
0: Yeah. yeah. Oh, uh, my favorite, though, was, maybe this is non-sequitur, in Star Trek when Captain Kirk says, uh, to Spock, you're out of your Vulcan mind? <laughs> <laughs> I never heard that one. That's a good one. Yeah, you're out of your Vulcan mind. I, the crowd went crazy on that one. Oh, well, let's go from fun conversations such as what, what we're having right now. And uh, I'm even going to be wearing dress-up clothes tonight. I thought I'd let you know. You're
1: going to be wearing big people
0: clothes? Big people clothes. I'm wearing I'm wearing school dance clothes. What? <laughs> right now, he's in a pink tutu. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh,
1: gee.
2: Uh, in a studded
0: collar. That's kind of usually cute. what I wear in Vegas. High heels, yes, yeah, nice. <laughs> I nobody, could, would even,
1: nobody would even notice no, out not here. What, yeah. No, not in Vegas.
0: I lived in Vegas right next to a commercial center there on Sahara. Okay. Where you have all the transvestite bars. <laughs>
1: okay.
0: <laughs> yep. They, like you say, no one would notice. No one would care. <laughs> Nope, that's it. But now you're from Connecticut, land of enchantment.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: And the thing about Connecticut, I think there is some sort of symbiotic psychological relationship between Connecticut and the Pacific Northwest on the all the way other side of the country. That is both Connecticut and Washington. Mm-hmm. Get really weird serial killers and really weird perverted criminals. That's because there's a bunch of lefties involved both. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to Matt. He says it's because of their political orientation. Oh,
2: okay. I thought it was their. Uh, I thought that was their polar orientation. <laughs> polar, yeah, <laughs> but both poles.
0: Yeah. <laughs> we, you had one of the most horrifying cases. We, if we talked about it a little bit last time you were on the show. It was so kind of just happened in progress. and so that was the home invasion case.
1: Oh, yeah, the uh, Cheshire murders of, of the uh, Pettit family.
0: That was uh, one of the most horrifying stories, and for those of you in the audience aren't familiar with it, uh, Vita, will you please bring him up to the disgusting speed?
1: Sure, you had two guys. You had one fella, um, Stephen Hayes, and you had the other guy whose trial is just getting ready to start, uh, Komar, Komar Jeski is how you pronounce his last name. Uh, Now, Hayes obviously got the death penalty. It was a very short trial. What had happened was these two guys, Hayes and the other fella, they invaded this home in Cheshire, and they wound up killing the wife and killing the two daughters and leaving Dr. Pettit uh, for dead. And he, uh, he barely survived. I think one more blow, he would have been gone, according to the doctors and everything. But what they did, Burl, in this case, I was a cop a long time, and I'm a private detective, 22 years. And I've seen them all, and I have spoke about this case on Fox News and uh, all, all the TV shows. And I say to them, it's the worst crime I've ever seen. Now, that's not to downplay... The, the Tate, LaBianca, Manson stuff, or, or the uh, In Cold Blood, Truman Capoli's, the, the whole family out in Kansas. Okay, those were vicious, too. But you got to understand the mindset of these two characters, Hayes and Komarzewski they, they rape these two girls, both young girls, okay, hmm. and the mother. Okay, then they proceed, as they have them all tied up, they proceed to take pictures of them. And then they proceed to pour the gasoline over their bodies, oh my and, God. and they proceed to set them on fire, okay? I mean, so you're dealing with something that is just, uh, you know, uh, unbelievable. I, um, I'll I tell you what, heard... Vito,
0: Vito, we're going to take a 60-second break to let sure. that horrible image sink into our minds, <laughs> and we'll be right back on True Crime Uncensored. there are some things in life that just don't go together but listen to this you take one drop dead gorgeous woman you add an incredibly wealthy handsome man you put them together they have all the money clothes jewels drugs alcohol they could possibly want well then you throw in a glock nine millimeter handgun it's all good fun until someone gets killed Fatal Beauty, the shocking true story of beautiful Rhonda Glover, who put 13 bullets from a Glock 9mm into her boyfriend of 15 years, Jimmy Jost. Oh, she said he was abusive. The friend said he was passive. Either way, he was dead. Fatal Beauty, available January 2011 from Pinnacle True Crime by Burl Bear, living legend, true crime author. And trust me, he's brilliant, I know it, because I am Burl Bear, author of Fatal Beauty. If you own an iPhone or ride the plastic
2: pony in front of Kroger, you are no longer tied to your computer. You are now free to roam and take Outlaw Radio with you everywhere you go. Grab an Outlaw Radio iPhone application. The smoking, drinking, interrupted. Did I say interrupting? 24-hour party that you follow now follows you. Your iPhone is now the easiest way to stay connected with your friends at Outlaw Radio, like me change the way you listen to the radio seven days a week, now available at the iTunes App Store
3: And now back to True Crimes with Burl Bear Don Woldman. And sitting in for hiatal uh,
0: hernia, Don Woldman, is fact checker Mark Boyer. Spencer Tandy, Broadway and European play producer and screenwriter, and he's from Connecticut, but happens to be in town, has joined us as well. And uh, if you just joined us, we have on the phone Vito Colucci, famed private investigator, former law enforcement, talking about the worst case he'd ever seen, which was, of course, in Connecticut. Yeah,
1: that's for sure, all I mean, it's a... Absolutely amazing! Uh, uh, it, you know, they took a poll. One of the news channels that I do a lot of shows on took a poll of people that were against the death penalty. Here, here's what shows you that the magnitude of this case. This is the most unbelievable thing I heard. They talk to people. We're talking about people that are so much against the death penalty. They pick it. They do all that kind of stuff. Sixty-five percent of them said, "Well, you know, on this case." These guys need the death penalty. It has changed so many people, and that's an unheard of thing. When you got guys pickets that go to where the people are being executed, all that kind of stuff, you got individuals now saying this is the worst I've ever seen. I don't. I'm not for the death penalty whatsoever, but these two need to have it. So you figure that out.
3: Hmm.
4: Well, of course, that speaks to what is the point of the death penalty. People argue the death penalty is either vengeance or it is a deterrent. Uh, it seems that in this case, we're saying that these people who are normally against the death penalty are saying it's vengeance because it's certainly not going to. The crime is so horrific, it's not like, oh, you, you other people, please do not, you better not do a horrific crime like this. Uh, so clearly, it's not a deterrent, it's vengeance, which is unfortunate and probably not a good idea, right, in general.
0: And it's interesting, because in law and making decisions in a jury case, you're not supposed to take vengeance into account.
1: You know, another thing, Burl, that was interesting, too. Uh, a lady on so television, again, another woman that, that covered the proceedings of Stephen Hayes, the first suspect there, sat there, and she says she covers all the, court, uh, all the cases for, like, Court TV, which is now True TV and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. She said on the air, she says this is the first case that she's covered where the witnesses uh, where the uh, jurors, right from the first day when they heard the information were totally turned off. half of them were just like turning sideways, not even paying attention anymore. That's how they were sick, who wanted to throw up when they saw the crime scene photos, who was in tears I mean it, it, this case stands on its own as far as the ruthlessness and I've seen everything, believe me I, I, I got 34 years combined in uh, police and uh, being a P.I., and this one's brutal.
0: Oh, I assume they, they did have evidence that these guys were the guys. Because oh, yeah, you and you they, they, a they, case. Admitted. they admitted
1: to these, these procedures. This was just procedures. Procedural. They, to procedural to see if they were going to get the death penalty or not. Uh, the, the, the lawyers for them went in saying, you know, obviously my client's guilty. We're here for another matter. We're here to see if uh, I'm trying uh, to save his life. And that's what that was all about only.
4: And it seems to me that in an enlightened society, however you want to define that, there's no room for a death penalty because a death penalty, if it's pure vengeance, is just that. And vengeance is not part of an enlightened society, however horrific the crime. Another aspect of this horrible crime, and certainly, yes, the worst thing I've encountered that isn't beyond you know, some kind of a, a racial cleansing thing or the Holocaust, or, it's like a holocaust in a house, you know, and... Here's the thing. I live in Connecticut, and this case has had an unexpected overflow ripple effect, which is many people are now going to jail and receiving much bigger penalties than they would have. Prior to this crime, because the, the, the state of Connecticut went so ape shit in reaction to the horror level of the crime and the home invasion aspect that now, if you break into someone's house and uh, steal their uh, jewelry and run away, it is likely that you will now get a penalty ten times what you might have gotten before this horrific crime ever happened, which doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to me.
1: You know? Uh, you know, I can understand what, what the other guest is saying. I've always been torn on the death penalty issue, to be honest with you, because there, there has been so many people, especially now with the Innocent pro- Project or whatever it's called, that has got many people out of jail. But, what, you know, this case here, they, they also petitioned people across the country, give us one word to describe this case, and the word that was used 90% of the time was terror. Mm. Uh, and I got five children, four of them are daughters who are all grown up, and I got granddaughters now. And the terror part is these girls, young girls, after being raped.
3: Put them to death. They're friggin' freaks. Put them to death.
1: <laughs>
3: There's nothing I mean... you can do with these idiots. Anyone that can rape two children and their mother and set them on fire, put them to death. You. Would that no, be? with me. that a No, I, I agree. I agree with you. I still agree with you. It's not about being a deterrent. It's just vengeance. It's about these are bad people. There's nothing you can ever do for these a holes. Put them to death. Take them off the game board. Yes.
4: Now, do you have
2: a preference for how you put them to death? No, I don't care. Uh, rape them and <laughs> pour gasoline on them
0: and set them. But on then the fire. you're exactly the same as they are.
2: <laughs> yes.
0: Yeah. So, uh, this case was so horrifying, and, and uh, Spencer, and I agree that you live there also, has had a ripple effect in terms of fear, paranoia, and perhaps different sentencing.
4: Mm-hmm. No, no question in terms of ho- anything to do with home invasion i mean it, it, it's unbel- i mean it's really sort of horrifying it's a, it's a, it's like a, it has a real fascistic quality about it i understand what matt is saying and i can understand arguing and i'm i could argue on his side saying hey take these guys off the game chart right you don't rape them burn them etc but you you give you know you uh, whatever you, you know you you give them a pill boom and they're dead 30 seconds later they're off the game board i could see arguing that Uh, though, okay. However, what's completely wrong is this ripple effect where asshole teenagers who are—I happen to know personally—I'm <laughs>
0: yes, sure you know plenty teenagers, of teenagers—and
4: this asshole teenager with a couple of friends get drunk and they decide to break in to a friend's their friend's house through a window in, in order to steal some of his shit as a joke, and they're gonna give it back to him when he freaks out the next day at school. The uh, neighbor calls, says, oh, I just saw some people going through a window. They're all arrested. They cost them thousands of dollars of jail, uh, of of lawyer time. And they're going, this is our friend. The family, here's the best part, the family whose house it was said, whoa, 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 whoa. You're all out of control here. This is just a... Kid thing. Prank. We're not pressing any charges. This and the law, unfortunately, people go, well, that's really has nothing to do with you. We have a new law here, this all home invasion stuff. These people invaded your home, they're going to jail. And the and everyone had to spend like fifty thousand dollars on lawyers not to have these teenagers go to jail. That's a that's a weird whipple effect. Yeah.
0: Then you have the situation, Vito, of this is the most horrible crime. And we ran into this in Washington State. What do you say? is the worst if the green river killer doesn't get the death penalty if robert lee yates the spokane serial killer cuts a deal that he won't get the death penalty if he tells them where the the missing body of the last of the 18 or 20 bodies are he doesn't get the death penalty who else would if it's reserved for the worst of the worst
1: hey look at look at manson and his girls I mean, you know, I mean, St. La Bianca I mean, you know, cut the, cut the baby right out of Sharon Tate. I mean, come on. There's, you know, see, I, I did, I did a, a couple of shows on Joy Behar, and she said to me, "Well, Vito, you think this case is the worst you ever see? What about this case? What about the Clutters in Kansas?" I said, "Look, all we're doing then is just we're bunching all these." Uh, uh, horrible cases together we're trying to say what's number one what's number five it doesn't matter all i'm <laughs> moving saying. moving down
0: one notch from last yeah, week from yeah. number 10 to number nine
1: <laughs> right right because that subject lived You you dropped from two to five because oh that guy didn't die that you stabbed 83 times i mean but you know what the other guest said i can partially agree with him i think the sentences need to be done by that person's criminal history. I don't think it should be an open-to-shut, well, a 16-year-old kid, he's fooling around, he goes in the neighbor's house and he gets 20 years. Of course not. But what I think, Hayes and Komar had big criminal histories, never anything uh, to match up to this, but they had burglaries, they had larcenies, they had all this kind of stuff. And you've got prosecutors now, and you've got judges that are sitting on the edge of their seats worried about what kind of sentences they're going to go out. Put out there because all they need is one like this Cheshire thing where they let somebody go too early, and they're going to be they're going to be knocked on every show on television. That's for sure if, if, if that happens. So it needs to be done by that individual's past record. If you got somebody with 18 arrests in 14 years, I mean, come on that person is not going to be rehabilitated. No, you know, chances, a,
0: chances are their, their pattern is fairly well set.
1: Right, and I don't want my family or myself, even though I carry a gun, to be the, the victim of one of these nuts. Speaking
0: of nuts, I was reading about a guy in uh, Connecticut, uh, Michael Ross. Now, this is one hell of a tragic story, no matter how you look at it. And you say, what can we do about these serial killers? How about if we don't make them? I mean, this guy, Michael Ross, who who confessed to uh, killing uh, about eight women or something like that, his life, he was born into a family in uh, Brooklyn, Connecticut. The, The mom beat him continually. The uh, uncle raped him and then committed suicide uh, in front of him. And then it became the little 8-year-old sodomized kid's job to strangle the chickens on on the farm. His life of abuse was so bad, according to his siblings, and yet he, like most little kids who go through that doesn't remember that he just remembers how much he liked the farm but later on in life and he was had a 122 iq goes to college he loves working in agriculture dates a woman things don't go well next thing you know he's out strangling women uh and you know you look at from all the research i've seen on psychopaths there's two ways to be one you can be born with a, a birth defect in your brain where you don't, don't you're missing the emotion chip and the other is you are made and you're made one by a combination of physical and emotional abuse and head injury and this guy fits the pattern so if we want to stop serial killers it seems like a good way to stop it would be to help them before they get that way to do something to stop child abuse and all that sort of stuff
1: well that you make a very good point because when somebody is given a fifty year sentence for horrible crimes and then you hear on the news that the person just had a blank stare on his face in court couldn't even comprehend what the charges were or or doesn't even care talked about killing twenty three people just like he was talking about walking down the street So i understand that where the public says hey this guy doesn't need jail this guy's a sicko he needs a hospital but then my point on that and i agree with that i mean i'll be very honest with you i had a sister that got postpartum after the birth of her child, she's she was eleven years older to me, and she spent most of her adult life in a psychiatric hospitals because of that. So I'm very, uh, you know, sympathetic to that. I saw how my sister was, how she died. But in saying that, what do you do with these mass murderers? That. You you, or your kids can be the victim of that. You see what I mean? Well, you there's certainly kid, don't put them out on the street. There's, <laughs> there's, there's a feel sorry part, but then there's also like, okay, this, these are dangerous people. They'll come in your house, stab you 45 times.
0: Well, obviously you don't put them back out on the street. And what a lot of people don't realize is that when someone is sent to a mental institution instead of prison, uh, in most cases or in most states, they will be in Prison, I mean, excuse me, be in the institution as long or longer than they would be with the prison sentence. It isn't that thing where people imagine that, oh, they'll be in the nut house for 60 days and then be declared, you know, okay and, and turned back out. Uh, they'll be in there just as long, sometimes for life.
1: Which yeah, is... and, and that's true. And not only that, going back to the, the, uh, the Stephen Hayes and Komar Jeski, even if they got life in prison with no chance of getting out you know darn right with a case like that, they will be killed in jail.
0: Unless they're in Alaska. Well,
1: <laughs> well the, you know. I know they, that you sounds weird, you know, Somebody like that, as bad as prisoners are, they have their own code of justice when the prisoners know, oh, man, those are those guys from that Connecticut town that did what to those girls? You know, I mean, really, it's a death sentence either way. But it just by, depends how they're going to die, to be by very defi- honest.
4: But by definition, we cannot all agree that the horrific nature of this crime in connecticut committed by these two guys are are we can we all agree or we cannot all agree that that crime and behavior is so off the charts that that means by definition those two people are crazy using the word loosely they're crazy people they're not and so they shouldn't be in jail they should be in the crazy house uh, you know, I don't know.
1: Only because that Stephen Hayes, his lawyer tried to get him off on the first trial by saying he was under the spell of Komara Jesky, Even though Stephen Hayes said, you know, I've never even thought of doing anything in my life. I'm a burglar. I'm a larceny guy. I'm this, I'm that. I, it just got to me. He said, go rape that little girl. I raped the mother. Now it's your turn. Go rape her. Set him on fire, and I just did it. I don't know if that borders on being out of your mind. I think there's a fine line of, of brutality here and being sick.
3: Hold on, I'm interjecting here, the uh, producer of this uh, lovely fiasco. (laughs) Um, Spencer Tandy makes Burl Bear appear conservative. You are so left to the mark, and you're so out of your mind. The bottom line is, there's a thing that's called uh, simply a mean despicable person no let's not let's not hang it on the he's crazy defense so he doesn't have to die no they deserve to die but in a wicked brutal nature the way they took the lives of the two daughters
0: and the wife thank you Thank you, Matt. And now, moving on. So, well, there's different, there's different theories. Now, back in England, they used to uh, hang children uh, for being pickpockets uh, every week. And they never ran out of kids because the kids would pickpocket at the hangings, which is where they would arrest them. <laughs> so. We're gonna, we have to uh, take a 60-second break to uh, make our nooses and wire up the electricity. We'll be right back. Ow. Wow. <laughs>
3: or ride a plastic pony in front of Albertsons, you are no longer tied to your computer. You are now free to roam while While Barstow's burning burning.
4: and take Outlaw
3: Radio with you everywhere you go. Grab an Outlaw Radio iPhone application, the smoking, drinking, interrupting 24-hour party that you follow now follows you. Your iPhone is now the easiest way to stay connected with your friends at Outlaw Radio. Change the way you listen to the radio seven days a week. Now available in the iTunes
0: App Store. Barbara Opal promised her 14-year-old daughter a brand-new dirt bike if she'd murder her employer. You know that. It's my book, Mom Mom Said Kill. Kill. The kid didn't get the dirt bike. Well, guess what? The book is now available as a digital download from Barnes & Noble. Mom Said Kill by Burl Bear, the new digital edition. And you know what? Even in the digital edition... The kid still doesn't get the dirt bike. Mom said kill. By me, Burl Bear, and I love me to pieces. Yes, of course. Burl Bear. I've known a few riders who were rogues and vagabonds. And I'm Roger Moore. I didn't supply the microphone. <laughs> well, you should have, Roger. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to True Crime Uncensored. I am the legendary Burl Bear, man in the lawyer chair, is not a lawyer, it's fact checker Mark Boyer. We got Spencer Tandy with us and Vitor Calucci on the phone. Mark Boyer, our fact checker, was doing some fact checking for us on humane executions. Mark, tell us about the uh, the guillotine lobby. Um, we're we we're, we're talking about whether or not
2: you know we should be executing uh, our state criminals. The um, when, when they were, when they were uh, building and coming up with the guillotine um, as a more humane form of execution, the executioners at the time, the ones with the axes and the black hoods, um, were very wealthy and very respected in the community. And they were getting kickbacks from the families and friends of those to be executed to make the axe sharp and the blows swift. And the, the more you paid, the more... Sharp the... Yes. <clears throat> yes. Uh, and that's how they were making all of their money. And when the guillotine came along, that all went out, it went out the door. And there was a huge controversy at the time as to whether or not the, those condemned to death deserved to be executed in a humane manner. And here we are, 500 years later, in the same debate.
0: Which just goes to show the French were ahead of us the entire time. <laughs> <laughs>
1: hey Brawl. Yeah. Brawl. One interesting thing I saw on the T V the other day in, in the midst of this whole Japanese sorrow that's going on, okay? With yeah. the tsunami and <laughs> yeah. You know, it was an interesting point that I didn't know. Uh There's no looting in Japan. Yes, I saw that. And the reason why there's no looting is because these people are brought up a certain way. Now, I love America. Okay, this is my country. I love it very much, okay? But we do have problems in that area. I mean, if if your local baseball little league team doesn't win, (laughs) it gives you an excuse to go loot the whole town and burn it down, okay? So what I'm saying is Japanese people, they said they don't have to worry about anybody coming into your house and taking a piece of paper from you because it's an on, it's called honor in Japan. It's an honorable thing. You do not do stuff that's unhonorable like that. And I was amazing to hear that. Well,
2: they, and, they have. And, a, like, they they it sounds like they have a greater sense of personal responsibility,
1: right? Right. Or, or and, community unity. Hmm. Right. Yeah. That's that's a, that's a good point. I mean, we struggle with that. That's why we get. And I'm not saying there's not violent crime all across the world. Of course, there is. But we uh, our, our stuff. I started as a cop in the late 1960s, and the level of things <clears> i <like throat> nowadays in the 2000s, it's unbelievable. I never would have thought, and the cops in my era never would have thought you could see crimes of this nature back then. It was it was very seldom heard. Now it's frequent.
2: Well, I don't is like that. It. Is that a... Um... Listen,
1: I'm not going to get that guy mouth-to-mouth. I don't <laughs> care when the next cop is <laughs> not. I just let you know now. Of... There's no mouth-to-mouth <laughs> happening with me.
2: That's okay. I, um, I'll, I'll, I'll defer.
4: <laughs> here's here, here's something very interesting. The uh, there's a book published. I can't think of his name, but we'll get all that fact checked out. It, the book is called Albion's Seed. A-L-B-I-O-N, a l b i o n apostrophe s. And in this book, it shows you and proves in clear statistics and information that the waves of in- immigrants coming over from Ireland, Scotland, and England into America in the 19th century, you can trace. This these thousands and thousands of family came from say northwest England and they had a particular crime rate of say whatever xyz where they went in America say they went to Vermont and Maine that crime rate 150 years later remains the same. similar compared to a group that came over from Scotland and went to southern, <laughs> they went to Virginia and to North Carolina, and their crime rate in England 150 and 200 years ago was half the crime rate of this other crowd, and to this day, almost 200 years later, the crime rate will be half. In so area. what
0: we should do is encourage immigration from countries with low crime rates.
4: Right. <laughs> but it just speaks to what uh, Vito's point, right? There's so much of it, it all has to do, it's all cultural. It's yep. all where you're from, how you're brought up. And, and imagine 200 years later that that's the, those those statistics still hold on.
0: Amazing, but true. See what you learn listening to the radio?
2: <laughs> hmm. And and just as a tidbit, I think it's Saturday. I'm not sure.
0: Well, yes, you're correct. Unless you're listening on Air fm at which time the show's on at midnight, and so now it's Sunday. Oh, okay. <laughs> then, it's, uh, then it's Sunday. Uh, but okay. if you're listening right now, uh, tonight, Vito uh, Colucci and myself and Henry Hill and Andrew De Donato and uh, Andrew uh, Colado and everyone whose name ends with a vowel except me. <laughs> Danny will be live in Las Vegas at the uh, the Royal at seven o'clock tonight. So if you're you're anywhere near Las Vegas and you want to see a mobster up close, now as I think I, I mentioned before, I said to Andrew Donato, you know Andrew, you, you know who's five foot three, has really big breasts and long blonde hair and lives in Idaho, and he said, no, who? And I said, you, if you got any brains. <laughs>
1: See, not only that, you got to let the, the audience uh, understand, bro, that not only that, for the $20 entrance fee, they get two free drinks and a killing of their choice. <laughs> so just remember, that, that. I mean, that's worth the price of the Mr. Oh, mystery, hell yeah. It's a heck of a deal. No, just, I
0: mean, I was talking to Denny about this. Uh, it was the last week or week before. Here is Andrew DiDonato. He's in the witness protection program. He is still scheduled to testify in trials against the Gambino crime family. And he's appearing live in Vegas at the Royal with, with you and uh, these other guys. So, everyone, bring your machine guns <laughs> and your Uzis. I mean, isn't he a little worried?
1: You're always worried. I still get the twinges of worry with the stuff I did in the 70s and 80s, okay? I mean, uh, uh, like, it took down a whole town, okay, so to speak. But you do, but, you know, you move on. Because otherwise, just like Andrew said to me, you're sitting around worrying every day. I mean, look at Henry Hill. Henry Hill lasted in the Witness Protection Program about eight minutes. Yeah. And, yes. and he left it. And okay? God I yeah. mean, anything, anything <laughs> can happen to any of us at any time, okay? For me, I just trust God with my life. I always have. Of course, you don't put yourself, you don't go out and do anything stupid. Now, you may say, well, you know, what they're doing tonight is stupid. But, you know, a lot of these people are gone. Majority on all of our parts are dead. So somebody may say, well, how about the cousin now of that guy? He may do something. Well, of course, of course, anything can happen. But, you know, we did it in our life. You know, I put the people away. These guys guys were were, uh, organized crime guys. So, you know, we each have our own background in history at, at age 63 i'm not about to worry about it now to be honest
0: with you well the last few months guests on our show have been. uh we've had three people who received death threats before coming on the show saying <laughs> you go on burl's show you're dead
4: well now were any of those made by matt <laughs> no no
0: the only thing we've killed here is careers <laughs>
4: Yeah, I mean, what I don't understand, bro, now, I'll meet you in
1: person for the first time tonight, I don't understand this hatred towards you, I heard even, now, is it true that I heard your your, your own dog hate you, and that's a golden retriever?
0: No, it's a pit bull,
1: actually. Oh, okay, because even the golden retriever doesn't like you, I heard, so I don't know, you
0: know. Yeah. No, I, I'm a very likable sort, my, in fact, I, I got my hands on my psychiatric profile, <laughs> Both no, people. no, no. Burl,
2: you're you mistaken. It was your hands around your psychiatric's neck.
0: Oh, yeah, that's what it was. You know, no, it, it is true that uh, usually in the medical field, especially in psychiatry, etc., cetera, they don't like the patients to see their file because they'll read stuff and it'll freak them out, you know. But mine says, <laughs> very first thing, primary personality affectation. Charming. Hmm.
4: And here's something else that was found in that file. It it says in the small print, in the notes in the back, uh, mentions his multiple personalities. And then there's an asterisk and says, all of them hate each other.
0: (laughs) Well, you know, you bring up an interesting point, Spencer, to, to turn that towards a serious thing. When we have a world divided against itself, it finds itself on the brink of world war. When you have nations divided against themselves, you have civil war. When you have an individual divided against themselves, they make themselves sick and the people around them sick. I
2: thought thought it was a, a, a weekly TV movie.
0: It is. Because if it were not for crime and illness... The entire entertainment industry would collapse. <laughs> if it were, I mean, what would we be talking about? Vito? If there wasn't all this crime, corruption. I, I know.
1: biggest, biggest shows on television are the crime shows.
0: Yep, and some of yeah. them are downright criminal.
1: Uh, yep, yep. <laughs> I, I just finished uh, 14 episodes of a, a series for A and E called Bloodwork, and it just started airing and uh, it's on the A uh, and E Crime and Investigation Network. But again, I'm saying that because. There's a networks, those are networks like I mean look at the name of it. Crime and investigation network. Yeah, Twenty four hours a
0: day Yeah, that's a yeah, uh, UK. Yeah. Yeah. The, the shows, that, for example, Snapped, uh, which I was on recently. In fact, they've been running it so often, I'm on TV almost as often as Ryan Stiles the past yeah. week. <laughs> In fact, this week, we were flipping through the channels. There's Ilya Baskin, who's a regular here on Outlaw Radio. There is Ilya. Change the channel, there's Ryan. Change the channel, there's me. <laughs> it looked, looked like an Outlaw Radio had taken over the yeah. networks. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Snapped, which runs uh, here on uh, Oxygen Network, runs in the UK on that network you're mentioning, the Crime and Investigation Network. So it just depends on what country you're in where you get to see Vito and where you get to see me, unless you want to come to my house.
2: Well, you know, it's not
0: that. <laughs> or you know, you're looking at you now. <laughs> um. uh, next week on the show, have you ever found the Casey Anthony and Kaylee Anthony case? I'll tell you, there there are people who get so obsessive with the, you know, murdered child of the week that, I mean, that's a horrible case. Anyway, Diane Fanning, who wrote the book uh, about the case and has been following it very, very closely, is going to be uh, with us. Uh, very famous true crime author has been following She's this.
1: She's great. Diane is super. Yeah. I've had the privilege of being on a couple of shows here. She's uh, tremendous.
0: Yeah, and in fact, she is... Uh, In Virginia, is that what she is right now? With my nephew Lee Goldberg, Uh, she says hello. Uh, I got a message today. Anyway, so that's what's going on next week. Uh, And uh, in the guest book, Andrew DiDonato signs in and says, "Why did I commit to being seen with Burl in Las Vegas tonight? Nobody wants to be seen with me, and I certainly don't want to be seen with
4: Burl." Did he just just write that now
0: to you? Well, I don't know if it was really him or not. We
4: never know. The guest book. (laughs) It could have been one of Burl's other personalities. (laughs)
1: Oh, I tell you, oh, uh, let me tell you, uh, I was talking. I spend, I spend a lot of time with Andrew. Here's a guy. I mean, I'm telling you, uh, uh, again as an ex cop, I admire him now because he's changed his whole life. It's so amazing how he leads his life now, and how, how he's the first, and his book talks about stay away from this stuff. It is not glamorous. I'm telling you. Stay away. I, I've been. I spoke with him. Places. First thing he yells out to people: Don't get involved. Don't, in this don't be a mobster Okay. Don't be a oh, all right. I okay.
0: Promise. We promise we won't be mobsters. I won't. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We're wrapped up. We're all done. I'm heading for the airport. See you soon, ladies and gentlemen. Magic man out of the demons Thank of you, decadence man. are next on the Outlaw. The Bahai faith. Good deeds. Nice people and a history of being persecuted, abused, and insulted, let's face it, not everybody appreciates the teachings of the Baha'i Faith. The Baha'i Faith encourages racial unity and interracial harmony, so racists don't like it. The Baha'i Faith upholds the equality of women, so sexists don't like it. The Baha'i Faith proclaims the harmony of science and religion, so the superstitious don't like it. And because the Baha'i Faith teaches that tolerance and love are the very foundations of a healthy community— extremist fanatics don't like it. So, if you're a racist, sexist, superstitious fanatic, chances are you won't like the Baha'is at all. But if you have an open mind and a kind heart, hey, call us. You sound like a Baha'i already. For more information on the Baha'i faith, simply look in the phone book under Baha'i. B-A-H-A apostrophe I.